welcome to Be We Champions. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. Well, and today I have a chat with my favorite person in the world, my wife, Laura Bennett. And I've had several requests for her to come on the show because I keep talking about her on different episodes. And finally, I was able to lock her in. We had to get up at 3 a.m. to record this one uh, with the kids asleep, but finally I was able to get her. So I think it was well worth it. And I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Laura described some great stories um, through this one. Uh, in 2003, her sprint finish against McKeeley Jones at the ITU World Triathlon Championships. Uh, again, in 2007, her World Cup win at the High V World Cup was just some, some great insights. Um, Laura really describes how she took control and 100% responsibility for her life and career. And there's just so many great takeaways in this one. Laura's going to be joining me as a co-host in 2021 for some episodes. Um, so this was a nice little prelude to, to that. Um, so I hope you enjoy this show. But before we go on, um, if you want to go to bennettendurance.com forward slash media, you can get the show notes timestamps, coupon codes for the sponsors there, and any links that I might talk about in the show will be there as well. So that's bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Uh, secondly, please subscribe and please keep sharing this show. It's it's great that the show is growing and gaining some great traction. I really appreciate your support with that. And finally, please keep the feedback coming. Um, you know, Let me know what you think. Uh, you can do that on the social media platforms, Instagram, I'm Greg Bennett World, Twitter, I'm Greg Bennett One, or Greg Bennett on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn. You can also give me some feedback on iTunes and I do read those and I really, really appreciate it. Um, This was a really special one for me, guys. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Before we start, I've got to give a quick shout out to the brands that make this show possible. The only brands I'm working with are brands that provide products that I use daily and truly believe in. These products support my immunity, they help improve my recovery and my focus. First up, my friends at Athletic Greens. I love this company and I love their all-in-one daily drink. It's become a part of my morning routine. I'm heavily focused on supporting my immunity and boosting my energy and, and helping my gut health, but I want to do it naturally. And I found that support with Athletic Greens, a whole food sourced green drink that tastes great and there's no hassle. It's delivered straight to your door. And it's a highly absorbable powder that takes seconds to mix with water so there's no clumpiness to deal with. I can't believe a green drink sourced from whole foods can actually taste so good. Personally, I truly love it. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins and minerals. It's packed with aptogens for recovery, probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health, and vitamin C and zinc citrate for immune support. So Athletic Greens is designed to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. And there's a great offer going on now for you to give it a try. Simply go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg to claim our special offer of 20 free daily travel packets with your first order. $79 added value. And get Athletic Greens delivered straight to your door. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. This show is also brought to you by my friends at Hyperice. Some of these products I've been using for almost a decade. Makers of the award-winning Hypervolt, the world's most powerful percussion massage device featuring quiet glide technology. Hyperice is a wellness tech company that makes devices designed to help you move better. From handheld massage devices to vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology, and the Normatec compression systems, Hyperice helps you warm up faster, recover quicker, and simply move better. 
used in professional training rooms throughout the NBA, the NFL, MLB, the MLS, Ironman, and other professional organizations for well over a decade, designed to help improve circulation, flexibility, and relieve tension. Get $50 off all percussion devices now, no code needed, and get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. That's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com, and use code GREG10 for 10% off. All right, because of huge demand, I have an incredibly special guest today, a champion athlete that has four world championship medals. Uh, she's got four US national titles. She's been to two Olympic games. She's won a multitude of wins, none bigger than the uh, high V triathlon back in 2007 and the enormous check that went with it. She's an incredible person, someone that cares deeply about helping others try and optimize their own lives. And she's someone that I've worked with for the last 20 plus years on helping me manage my ego and managing my emotions and just helping me perform better every single day. Now, I might be a little biased, but I think she's probably the greatest person to ever walk this planet. <laughs> Welcome and thanks for joining me on Be With Champions, Laura Bennett. Good morning. How are you? Well, good. Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much for the intro. <laughs> now, who would have thought, special. huh? 3 a.m., 3 a.m. We're getting up for a podcast with uh, the little ones asleep. Who would have thought, huh? I know. That's what it takes nowadays. You used to get up, you used to get up in anxiety, and now it's anxiety for um, taking on the little kiddos all day long. No. I think, um, yeah. What was funny, when we walked to the car this morning, we both felt like, gosh, this feels like a race morning. It, it had the... The, the feel, we're down in South Florida here, so we had the feel and the smell of, of getting up early, walking over to the car, 3 a.m., and, and, and both of us almost had that. I feel like our blood pressure and our heart rate started going up immediately, and it was like, hang on, no, 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 we're just getting up to go have a chat with each other. It's just that I've come into the studio and you're home with the kids. Exactly, exactly. I know that it's amazing how that feels. It's like the Sunday night feeling of, um, before having to go to school on Monday and you haven't finished <laughs> all of your homework or something, you've got that anxiety of like knowing that you're going to jump into like cold water or I don't know, you know, yeah. before, before the race, did I get my nutrition right? Or, um, I know. I know. I gone to the bathroom yet, you know, just whatever it was that caused you to have anxiety before a race beyond just wanting to perform at your highest level. I know it's incredible, isn't it? Because it's been four years since we've both raced, and yet that anxiety, that race morning anxiety, still hits us, even though we're not going to a race. And uh, the reason why we we did get up at three a.m. Well, one, both of us were awake, um, but secondly, we have the two little ones that um, could be getting up anytime, sort of after seven, and so we want to make sure we gave ourselves a a fair bit of time before we got going. So I guess while we kind of ramble on here. Tell me, how does being a mum of an eight-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old compare to being a professional triathlete? Oh, it is way harder. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, I think it's – I mean, I, you know, I've always had respect for women and mothers in particular in the sense of, like, you know, that selfish selflessness and, you know, the gift of having a child is really – it really truly is a gift. I think you're giving all of yourself emotionally and 
and mentally and physically too now <laughs> as I see my body change after giving birth twice. And I think it's, you know, as we, we push the envelope on when to have kids. And so um, I always, you know, had said to you basically that I don't know if I want to be locked into that emotional captivity, <laughs> you know, because I, I had a, an idea that it's going to be like that. You know, you're going to love these little creatures as much more than yourself. You give your life in a second for them. So, oh, so I think that I, um, yeah, it's way harder in that respect. I mean, sport, I felt so privileged to be able to do that as a profession and <clears throat> have such a great life and to meet you and to be able to go and explore the world together and explore sport and, you know, try to become your best self in, in that, you know, challenge of, you know, becoming your highest level in sport really. And so, um, I just think that that's, it's, it's one of those that it's kind of a, a choice. Whereas once you have kids, it's not really a choice. You just, it is a reality that there is nothing else, but you know, you're in it and you're in it for the rest of your life. And, and so I think in that respect, it's a lot harder, but I don't know. I kind of feel privileged to have been able to do, to do what I did in sport and have those opportunities and now have the opportunity to experience this. And I think, you know, having, um, learned my life's lessons through the sport, it's really kind of rolled into helping me take on having two little ones. Now I wish possibly had started a little bit earlier, but because <laughs> mm -hmm. age is, this is definitely a young man's game for sure. Or young yeah. woman's game for sure. <laughs> um, cause it is full on lots of energy you have to give and you know, the patience that you need and, um, in some respects, you know, being older, it helps you feel a little bit wiser and a little bit calmer about, you know, making decisions. But at the same time, the emotional um, level is at its all time highest. So you kind of feel like um, hindered in that respect that you're feel like you're always trying to catch up. But yeah, it's it's a it's definitely it's definitely seems more challenging. I think the slip deprivation and um, has, ne has never been like this with sport. You could take a nap any time of day, you know, if, if you were tired or sleep in, if you wanted to. Um, but yeah, nowadays it's kind of, nope, you got somebody either like looking you in the eyes if you're trying to take a nap or, <laughs> mm. or, you know, you know, they're, you got to take care of them at least at this stage. It's, it's funny, isn't it? I, I think I've described it with you before where I feel like being a professional athlete, you can be either a zero or a 10 in terms of, you know, how, you, how you're living. And, and a 10 out of 10 is, you know, you're optimizing with everything you've got intently, what you've got control over and everything's about you and, and performance. And it's the kind of thing you can train really hard all day and then come home, sit in a pair of Normatec boots for 60 to 90 minutes, watch Netflix, eat your dinner on your lap, you remember those yeah. days? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> and then, so nice. <laughs> and it's like, so, so that's being a professional athlete, zero or 10. You know, you're, you're all in. And, and parenting for me is you live between a three and a six. So you're never quite doing anything as well as you would hope. And, and, and parenting is for people that are out there going, yeah, I, I kind of get this, is there's no real scoreboard. You're just doing the best you can with the knowledge you have at the time. And, and, exactly. and you, but you never – 
switching off completely. And that's why that three, you just kind of live in this constant state of a little bit of anxiousness. And, uh, and so, absolutely. Uh, and, and look, we've had it, we, we've chosen to do it this way where we haven't got sort of live in help or, or nannies and, and all this. We're doing it, you know, we're doing it together and, and it is full on. So we have chosen to do it that way. Um, but it, it definitely does feel like we're always on. So I, I love that. Look, I, I, I was told that I talk about you far too much on each episode and when i said in the introduction that through demand well i have had a lot of people actually give me feedback would you stop talking about laura and just bring her on to chat about you know your life sorry so, guys sorry guys yeah, yeah well <laughs> we do we can't finish each other's sentences so it's almost <laughs> as if we're one at this point in our lives being together for 20 years but yeah i really appreciate you having me on i really do i i think i'm in I'm in unbelievable company and who you've had on thus far. And I really, yeah, I feel honored to be on here. Mm, well, I, I've been begging you to come on for the <clears> last, <throat> uh, what, eight months. Actually, you were my first test uh, interview. We did that back back last sort of October, November. And uh, I do have that somewhere. I can probably bring that that old one up. But I, um, I, w- I was excited to get you on I, and, and you are – worthy of being on the show amongst uh, the guests that I've had. So it is fantastic. So what I'd like to do right away and, and um, is just let's wind the clock back so people can get to know you a little bit and, and just tell me when did you sort of find your passion for, for endurance sports or, or triathlon specifically? Well, I think, you know, growing up in a family that my dad, you know, was active every single day, you know, running when um, he got into triathlon later. My brothers um, were very active too. They, they would always, um, you know, be going to running races, my dad and my brothers um, when I was growing up. And um, I think, you know, I, I think it's just kind of in me or in you, you know, as a kid, whether you're going to be super active or not. And so, I never wanted to miss out on going to one of those races. So I'd ask my dad to wake me up. If he was going to a running race, I'd ask first if there was a, they called them fun runs back then. And for my, you know, I think I was eight when they started doing some running races or when I got to go. And, you know, he said, look, I'm not waking you up. And I said, well, please, you wake me up. <laughs> like, please, please do. Like, I don't want to have to set an alarm at, you know, at that age, but I said, please don't leave without me. So they would just grab me and throw me in the car and <laughs> I got to go to the running races with them. And that's kind of how like being active out in the, you know, in public kind of started. Um, otherwise I don't think there was a day I wasn't outside playing with my friends or, you know, I mean, we would be running from a pool, jumping into the you know, intercoastal off our dock. And then, you know, it didn't matter. We were always outside and, you know, playing all sorts of sports. And I think just growing up in that super active lifestyle, um, I think it kind of became clear that I was, um, that was something that was important to me every single day. And, you know, being in a family where, um, you know, your older brothers are really active and your dad's active, it kind of made it easy for me. Um, And then, you know, my next door neighbor, was a swimmer and his mom kind of encouraged me to start swimming like more on a swim team and everything. And that happened when I was about 12. And so I went from running and, you know, doing fun runs and stuff with my dad and, 
and brothers to um, a little more scheduled kind of swim swim practice and things like that when I was 12. But my brothers got my dad into triathlon about that same time, um, around 12 years old. And so we started doing a few triathlons. And so there was Iron Kids back then. I think Hunter, he had Hunter Kemper on and he talked a lot about that. I, I wasn't quite as ingrained as he was being national champions and things like that. Of Iron Four Kids. times national champion. Excuse that was me. a highlight of his, of his resume was a four-time <laughs> national Iron Kids champion. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So I think we, we basically did a few of those with my next door neighbor and a few of the swim, swim um, team kids we would, I think we went out to Arizona once and did one of the races out there. So we did travel a little bit for those kind of races, but not, not crazy. And, um, so yeah, that kind of introduced me to triathlon at a young age. And so I kind of filtered that triathlon through swimming and running through grade school and high school. But in grade school, I did every sport, basketball, soccer, softball, even I think into high school was doing all of those sports. So it was kind of, I really love to be a part of any sport I could, I could do. I mean, even to back backyard football with, I mean, I grew up with a, quite a few boys around. So um, that were my age and, that, and there weren't really any girls. And if there was, they were kind of boring sitting inside, unfortunately at the time. So I was on my own against the boys playing football until we all kind of hit puberty and they got big and the hits, <laughs> the hits started to hurt, so I had to like, I had to stop playing with them. But otherwise, it was you know a, basically a young life full of sport. And so when I got into um, high school um, and was swimming and running, I was a better runner coming out of high school. And so I kind of looked, um, I looked at schools uh, for both swimming and running, and. Um, I kind of thought about, well, you know, at the time swimming was kind of a little bit more, um, consuming my life. And so I looked into swimming in the sense of like, okay, well, you know, all the swimmers around me, a lot of them were even making the four years, I think, because they had started at say age eight or something and were fully ingrained in just swimming for that whole period of time from eight years old to college. And so they never really made it through, three to four years of college swimming. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. I thought, well, okay, well, maybe maybe I should focus on swimming because I can swim the rest of my, I can run the rest of my life, you know, but swimming seems to have, you know, such a short life. Why don't I go and experience that and see what I can do there? And so I decided I would, you know, look at schools for swimming and see if I could pick up a scholarship or, or something and, and that kind of switched me over to focusing purely on swimming in my last few years of high school. And I was still running, but basically, you know, trying to do my best to try and see if I could get college paid for and see if I could go to a good school. So I looked at a few schools for that, um, University of Florida, Alabama. And then I found SMU, which one of my um, swimming mates from down here had gone to. He was two years older than me or something. And I loved it. It was such a, a family environment kind of, you know, the, it was a small school and the, the girls were actually all from European countries for the most part, they did really good recruiting. And <laughs> most of them were Olympians from their, from their countries. Um, and so I had the great opportunity to go there and I, 
I didn't, I wasn't good enough. I hadn't even, I'd made junior nationals. I hadn't made senior nationals or anything. And most swimmers, if you're going to try and get a scholarship have at least done that much, if not made Olympic trials. And so, um, I, I asked to get in there and, you know, of course I couldn't get a scholarship in, but I did, I walked on and, um, and so that means that there's no scholarship. You come and you pay your own dues and they let you swim, but you know, there's no support. And so they, I, I did so. And, and, um, and after my first year, I had, I had done so well, um, that they offered me a scholarship for my second, third and fourth years. So that was really encouraging. And I, I, my improvement went through the roof. I don't know if just focusing on one sport and then plus all of the, you know, the dry lands and the weights. And I mean, basically swimming or focusing on what you were doing for about five hours a day, um, you know, two swim practices and a gym of some sort really accelerated my, my growth in the sport. And so, yeah, I was really happy to have, you know, focused on swimming there. And then, um, you know, I, I played a little bit with triathlon after, um, between, you know, my high school years and everything. I think one year I went from track, um, state championships to the next day we drove to a triathlon and um, did, I think it was sailfish triathlon back then. So it was kind of mixing that in, but still trying to keep it, um, keep it a part of my life. So um, I think just coming from there and, and fully, you know, always trying to find the next, next thing to do. It kind of, my, my passion was definitely sport. You know, the focus on triathlon kind of came right after, I I did world championships in Manchester and that was when I, after my first year in, in college and they basically said, um, I came back after doing triathlons after my first year, they'd offer me a scholarship and I came back probably five or 10 pounds lighter than I, (laughs) than I was the first year of college. And my coach said, okay, well, we want you to, we want you to be a part of, you know, our scholarship team, but you have to stop triathlon. Wow. I need you to, yeah, I need you to stay focused on swimming and, you know, you've come in a little bit lighter, you've lost a lot of muscle. Um, you know, and back then swimmers were a lot bulkier and thicker. I mean, I was, I mean, I was 25 pounds heavier than I am today at least. And I couldn't only wear extra large t-shirts to look normal <laughs> without it like choking, looking like it's choking me. <laughs> so I definitely bulked up quite a bit. Granted, my diet was terrible in college. I didn't have as clean and um, healthiest diet as I do now, but, um, and that definitely plays a huge role. Uh, but they said, you know, I, we really need you to just focus on, on swimming if we're going to give you this scholarship. And so that kind of honed me on, on just swimming and so I didn't really come back to triathlon until I graduated university and I was going to swim another summer, um, out there and at SMU and just, you know, do what, you know, the summer program basically. And, and then I realized I had a phone call from, um, Tim Young and they had a, this is at USA triathlon and they had a collegiate program going. And he said, Laura, why don't you come out and do triathlon? with us, you know, cause I had been a junior with them. So they kind of kept track of me and, and I said, you know, I'm just gonna, I don't think I'm going to get 
back into triathlon. I'm not sure if I'm really that keen to do it. And, you know, after a couple of months of swimming and I'm like, where am I going with this? You know, swimming wasn't necessarily professional at the time. Now you can, you can go on after university and make it probably a good living with it. But back then it wasn't really something you would do. And there was nothing education wise that I was really like, Oh yes, I want to be doing this or that, you know, I'd wanted to go to school for physical therapy, but SME didn't have it. But at the time I was more interested in swimming. So pursuing that. And so I kind of said, okay, well, I'll just go and do an undergraduate degree in sciences. But two years after doing that, I thought, well, geez, now I'm going to have to get a job when I get out um, to support, you know, excuse me, to support my physical therapy because it's not in this school. And so I switched to business because I was like, I need to get a job, so I'll I'll get a business degree, and then that way I can support if I want to go back and do um, physical therapy. So I had a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of things in motion at the time, mm-hmm. and basically um, had no idea I would be doing professional sport had I come out of you know university. So when Tim Yant brought this to my attention, it took me a, about a month or so um, to figure it out, and. Um, my dad had called with that information and I was like, no, dad, I'm not doing that. He's like, well, you know what? I'm going to just get you your pro life or your, um, your USAT license. You can decide what you want to do. So he left it in my hands and, um, and about, yeah, like I said, a month or two months later, I called Tim out and said, okay, what's the deal? I'd like to come out. And so we did. And that was such a great opportunity that they provided. And I really appreciated them, you know, reaching out to me because, it set me up for the rest of my life, you know, and having these, all the opportunities that came. And so we um, basically moved out to Colorado Springs and they had a program, a collegiate program going on. And um, they basically took care of your room and board and then they paid for you to go to certain races and then the rest was on you. And so, Mm. yeah, that gave me the opportunity to go to um, in 97, it was world champs in Perth as a junior or not as a junior, as a age grouper and 20 to 24. And I did okay there. I was second, I think in, in that, in my age group. And then, um, basically I maybe with that or maybe a couple other races ended up getting my pro card as they call it over here. Um, in, in after that. And so 98 is when I pretty much started to become a professional in triathlon and that put us right on the world cup scene. And I think having done swimming, um, as a, you know, as a collegiate sport, I actually made the right decision in the end because it actually put me in the race from the start. And it Mm -hmm. took me, yeah, it took me a little while to catch up, um, on the bike and the run, but at least I was in the game right away. And I think that was such a huge advantage, um, with the way the sport had changed because it became draft legal and, you know, it was so important to be a part of a pack and being a part of the front pack at the time we had great swimmers, um, with Loretta Harrop, Nikki Hackett, Barb Lindquist, Sheila Taramina. So it was a really good group and I was hanging on tooth and nail. I mean, coming into triathlon from swimming, my swimming, it was, I was not a 1500 meter swimmer. I was a hundred meter fly. And well, by the end of my swimming in the four years, I was 200 because I'd put on so much bulk and strength, but it was amazing coming into triathlon, how good a swimmer I was at that, you know, like it kind of going, what? I can't swim 1500 meters, but you know, with triathletes you can. And then, but 
you know, building, I had to pick up the bike and the run pretty quick and trying to, I had the heart and lungs, but I would get injured a lot because I didn't have the foundation of um, strength. And, mm. and we've seen that a lot, actually. We see that a lot with, uh, you know, especially the US team that tend to go and have their three to four years at college doing one particular sport. And they quite often are swimmers and they've got these enormous aerobic engines, but the the chassis, if you like, the legs aren't quite strong enough to keep up with the the engine. It takes a few years to adapt um, to adapt to that bike and and, and running strength. Um, it does. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt. You. No, that not I'm at all. Thought, but yeah. but I, I love all of that because what what's interesting is you've since almost day one you've been wanting to do sport. You know, it's like this. I feel like, and the amount of people I've had on this show that sort of started off as athletes and they, but sport, whether you've gone and studied or whatever, was in their blood and it's what they wanted to do. They, there was something special. And, and there is one story that you've told me before that you left out in there was you were so excited about swimming as a kid <laughs> that you would be in the car waiting for your dad to go to swim squad at 5 a.m. in the morning with your cap and goggles already on and in your swimsuit. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Embarrassingly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I was just super keen to to give it everything I had. I don't know. I think um, you, know, you could say there was a little bit of intent there of wanting to be the best I could be at all times. <laughs> but I was. it made me anxious, I think, to be late to swimming or to late to what I needed to do, you know, and I, you've, you've used that anxiety very well, that anxiousness that have to be first in the pool all throughout our lives. You've always been the one first in the pool or it, I'm always the one dragging my feet diving, you know, but you've always brought that intensity about you that it's like, okay, yeah. if we're going to do it, let's go all in. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, that that's kind of in your DNA. I love that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like the commitment is, is there. Let's, let's do this. I want to know that I've checked every box and crossed every T. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I know. The other thing about you is, is like you mentioned, you, you talked about playing football and hanging out with the boys and doing all those sports. And, and I think you were probably one of the most athletic uh, women that I've ever met. Now, now triathlon has a lot of athletes and, and people that have large engines and they tend to be fairly strong. You brought that athleticism. Um, I don't think you ever didn't have the fastest transition one or transition two in the sport, that that kind of ability to jump off bikes and jump on bikes and put on your gear. That, that to me is true athleticism. And that kind of a gift is often seen, you know, we go look at sports like soccer or tennis or very agile sports where we're moving a lot. But then you've gone and chosen a sport that, worked with your strengths because you obviously are strong and an athlete did you ever feel that perhaps you know a tennis golf soccer might have been the chosen sport you should have done or or did you always feel triathlon was your passion or were you passionate about those tell me about that kind of trying to decide what sport to do yeah it's funny I didn't I I um unfortunately yeah like I it doesn't really show up in the sport of triathlon. <laughs> I got to have fast transitions and actually that had saved me quite a few times. I think my first world cup I won, um, in, in Gamma Gori, I came out of the water behind a couple of girls and well, it was like, we were the front swim pack and, um, 
I made, I made the group with Loretta and Nikki and one of the girls that was, I came out of the water behind, she didn't make the group. And then it gave me the opportunity to win the race, you know, granted mm. everything else fell into place. Um, but still, but it, yeah, yeah little, so, it, so it did help. It definitely did help on a few occasions that I was like, wow. Okay. So that little bit of, that doesn't, isn't a huge factor in our sport, but definitely played a role with the type of track the triathlon that I did with world cup, right. Where transitions are a factor. If you're doing non-drafting, they do count still, but not as much because you're not missing a pack, um, necessarily. And so, yeah, I think that having, um, I, I, you know, I did play golf. I did play tennis growing up. Um, I, you know, I almost feel like it's one of those things where what you're around more, maybe if my next door neighbor was playing tennis or one of my good friends was, or if my parents were tennis players, you know, I would have probably stuck with, I could imagine playing tennis. I don't think I would have done golf. I think golf was, I needed more, um, I needed more movement. I think, you know, golf is definitely, it's probably, I, I have no idea, but I would say like 90% in your mind. And then you've got, <laughs> you know, and then you've got the, the swing and the strength. There's great, tremendous strength and and agility with, with tent, with, um, with golf as well. But, you know, I think that tennis or, you know, something that had a little more life to it, um, would have been probably up my alley, but yeah, for some reason I didn't, I didn't, I, it must, it must've been, you know, family influence or something because I didn't get hooked on it. And, Mm. um, or maybe, maybe the aerobic side is something that I needed too you know? And so it would have, um, I look back at that and kind of go, Oh, what I, and then I'm like, no, I've had a pretty amazing life. Found you. (laughs) (laughs) I found you. I found the sport. It's given me a lot of discipline. We would have found each other had you been number one tennis player. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Okay. I would have tracked you down. All right. Well, that's, that's good to know. I know. I think that, um, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I can't say that I've ever really loved triathlon. I have never really loved swimming, biking and running, but I, it's the place where I found that I could do what I love. And I love to compete. I love racing. I, and you know, I love racing so much that, you know, for probably the longest period of time that I was uninjured, I couldn't train with anyone else because it kept me from getting injured. You know, Mm -hmm. I raced every single day I was out there when we were in squads, I had to, you know, race to to get better i, yeah, I on that we could we could never swim together in a squad next to each other you know the coaches would try and line us up we'd be like no i'm not taking that home yeah i'm not taking <laughs> exactly. the competitiveness with my wife in the swim pool because yeah. uh we were we were similar yeah we, we yeah. were at similar pace in the pool um yeah, yeah yeah definitely i think maybe i got you on the 50 i think you're likely to we're very close on the 100, but by the 200, you've got me in the 400 for sure. You've got me in the pool. I just – Yeah. You, well, I catch on the flip turns. <laughs> yeah. We're just your efficiency of movement. Biomechanically, yeah. you're, you're very sound and I'm just a thrasher. Yeah. Uh, in open water, I, 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 yeah. I'm maybe a little bit Definitely. more comfortable. But it was but, – but with all of that, I think I'm like, I don't want to have to no. – and there was no – when I went to swimming squad, when we did happen to end up next to each other and we we're doing 200s or something – Oh, you were the worst person to swim next to because it was I I would tend to go all out in whatever I did. I go all out and then the goal is hang on. 
right? That was my mindset always. And so with it, when it comes to a 200-meter swim in, in the pool, and so, all right, let's open up the gap on whoever I'm racing. And 90% of the time, anybody I raced against in the pool side by side, if I opened the gap, I kind of could then measure them and monitor them and they wouldn't come back. You were the worst person in the world because you always came back and you always found another gear in that final 50 and swam over the top of me. And it was, <laughs> it was like, oh, if a- anybody ever made me suffer in a, in a swim workout, it was you. And, and that's where it was uh, great to have you as a training partner all those years. But at the same time, I didn't want to line up next to you when it came to racing. <laughs> I, I, do, I do have a confession to make. If, it, if I knew you were trying to beat me, I would definitely... <laughs> hold you on the line oh man <laughs> i could feel uh, i mean fortunately with swimming like you said having the technique and having swum for so long you know i really refined my technique in in college and had the ability to bring that to um you know triathlon where people you know were probably much better swim, much better bikers and runners uh, than i was so i you know i could use that but you know, and, and having solid technique gave me the opportunity to not quite get quite as tired in situations like that. But I got a funny story I got to share on that one. When we were swimming in Noosa at the Aquatic Center there and one day, and I think we were just doing an easy two-kilometer sort of side-by-side or maybe it was three kilometers, whatever it was. It was just a turn-the-arms-over aerobic swim. And, and we, we sort of swim side-by-side and we kind of just – set the pace together and uh anyway we finish and we 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 get to the edge of the pool there and um we're kind of chatting and this this family come over and there's two young girls probably about eight and ten and then their parents and the dad comes over and goes oh we've been watching you guys watching you swim talking directly with you for the last you know 10 to 15 minutes and oh what a magnificent stroke and we've had our daughters watching your stroke and learning the technique then he looks over at me and goes not you so much. <laughs> I was like, what? That wasn't so nice. Well, it wasn't even. There's no need to say something like that, <laughs> no, is there? No, no. <laughs> that was unnecessary. We could just give compliments. We don't have to yeah. bring other people oh. down to make you look good. No, no, like, that was uh, funny. Oh. But that, that is a description of how the two of us swim. I, 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 I yeah, been, we've true. been called the rhino and the swan. Yeah. Although rhinos do swim pretty well. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> All underwater, right? <laughs> It's like yeah, exactly. it's like don't look yeah. at don't look at my uh, technique. It's heart and lungs yeah. on the inside. Yeah. So then we talked about you. You got up to ninety eight, and you got yeah. you became a professional. Um, now I think looking at it, was it ninety eight? You came second at the Noosa World Cup. Yeah. Um, I mean that was a real burst onto the scene. Is that when did you kind of go? You know, I, I've got some. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate. I love endurance sport. I've now got my pro license. W- w- at what point was it? Was I've got some talent and strengths in this area. Maybe this is a career opportunity. Um, never. No. <laughs> <laughs> I always felt like I'm on the back foot in our sport. No, no. I think that. Um, yeah, that was definitely fantastic to um to come second in Newson. I do remember that fondly, and. You know, I honestly, I feel like that swimming for sure kind of put me in the race and, you know, having that bike group in the front with Loretta and, and, um, Nikki Hackett, cause those two and, and Barb Lindquist mm. and then Sheila, Sheila as well. I can't remember if she came in a little bit later or maybe she was in before me, but anyway, um, yeah, having that group 
But I was always on the rivet with those guys hanging on. I mean, honestly, through the swim and then on the bike, it was like, I mean, I remember one time with Loretta and she would just be abusing me on the bike and going, you know, (laughs) and just take a pull. But I mean, that's one of the things that happens in the group. Like that's like an un unspoken rule that you can abuse the crap out of each other because you guys all have that goal of, Mm. you know, staying away from anybody who's chasing you. And so, you know, coming off the course, it was as if nothing happened, right? You, Mm. you, you're just trying to inspire each other. And, you know, and I think I, but I do remember being in that, you know, in the bike group with those guys. And it was, I mean, you were doing all out sprints just to come around and take your turn. Well, that's what, that's what I felt like. I don't know how they felt. I mean, maybe they were far more trained up for this sort of situation, but um, you know, that's where I was at the time when, when I was racing with those girls. So it was, I never felt under in control or, you know, I'm setting the pace here. I mean, maybe I'd get fleeting moments of it, you know, at certain races, but um, yeah. So I, I would say I've, I've never, I've always felt, like a guest at this that is hilarious <laughs> in this sport no, i didn't have any talent or streaks no. i just hung on for dear life for 20 years <laughs> I know. talk about having anxiety every day yeah you know and i think you know it could be a product of um you know maybe not doing quite the right training or um you know or just who i am you know just kind of kind of never giving myself that credit or never having that confidence. I mean, I definitely felt more confident when I had solid sessions behind me and I, and I knew kind of going into races, if I would do well, like it's really weird, but going into like the, when I won Gamagori, um, I think was that 2000, I kind of, I wake, I woke up and I was like, you know, I kind of, or no coming into the race. I remember kind of going, I think I'm going to have a good day here. You know, so it was almost like I couldn't put my finger on it. I know I'd done some good training, you know, but I, I, there was times where I kind of felt, yeah, this is going to work out well for me today. I didn't know I was going to win or anything, but it was like when it did happen and there were integral, there were important parts of that day that had to happen for me to, you know, for it to fall into place. And like I said, like making the bike pack, you know, in, in transition and, um, coming out first. And that was like the first step. And then, you know, the second well, step. I think a lot of it is that you're fairly demanding on yourself and that you're, you, I mean, we had it described to us once, uh, from a neighbor of ours that said sort of, and this is a generalization, but ba- basically women tend to want to be perfectionists. It's about being perfect and getting a good score whereas a man is just trying to be better than another man like and that was definitely you and I I think at times throughout our career I could be over the moon at winning a race and only five or six guys be there and I didn't care it didn't matter I won and that's all that mattered you would come home from winning a race and be like yeah but so-and-so wasn't there and -and so-and-so wasn't there and this wasn't so good and this wasn't so good (laughs) Whereas I was like, I was like completely like, so long as I'm, I'm beating the other guys, I, I didn't tend to care as much. And that was a different, definite difference in our personalities and how we approached the sport. Um, do you think that uh, that kind of perfectionism yeah, was a limiter to that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. I know. And it's, and it's easier to see all of that when you've, 
taken, you know, I've been out for a while now and it's kind of like, you look back and you go, oh man, why didn't you just give yourself a break? And just, you know, it could have, you could have probably fine tuned things there, but you know, I feel like too, you know, we've, I feel like we've definitely once we got together because you and I were very good at sounding off of each other and talking about the sport all day long, every day, which <laughs> that took me a little bit to get used to. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I like the sport. This is good, but I don't want to do this all day long, you know? And maybe that's a female thing too. Like, you know, it's like we talk about one of the sessions we did in Noosa and you and Mark Jenkins, you know, swimming in and Helen and I swimming in and we get on the beach and you're, and you guys are like stroking each other. Y'all, yeah, man, you were so good there. You were so good there. Yeah, good job, man. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> you and Jigsy and Island and I just look at you two. This is going like, to be deleted, by the way, out of this episode. <laughs> and Helen and I are like, get on with it. <laughs> the swim's over. Everybody's made it back at the same time. Uh, same time. No. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it would have been more advantageous to kind of, you know, give yourself a break. And, um, you know, take some credit there. But I do think we were a lot of times aware of our surroundings. Now, whether or not I processed it properly, I don't know. But, you know, like you said, you know, you're working with the the information you have at the time and you're doing the best you can. And I do think I had limiters on me for certain things, but I don't know that it would have changed, you know, my career or anything. I do think that um, having having a passion for sport but not necessarily our sport could have been a limiter too. You know, like I, I, I don't know. I don't have that base level of strength. You know, some girls come in and they dominate in their first year of sport in our sport. You know, I don't think I had, I was injured. Oh, I think I had a strong, what was it like four years together <laughs> that I wasn't injured in my how many years, 20 years of racing, you know? And that was, I think, uh, it wasn't even through the Olympics. I mean, Oh eight, I went into that injured. So yeah, it was kind of a short period of time that I wasn't dealing with that level of that stress level, you know, so much easier when you're not injured Mm. to, to relax and just roll with things. And so I think in that respect, um, yeah, it was, I I don't know. You know, you kind of look back and it's easier to say that 2020, you know, hindsight's 2020, but, um, Mm. yeah, I think I, I don't get me wrong. I am so great, grateful for the career I've had and I'm very proud of my accomplishments and, um, all the opportunities I've had and, and taking advantage of the ones that came to me for the most part. So. Well, when I look at your career, you know, you, you have that second in Noosa in, in 98, um, and then it's kind of goes a little bit all over the place again. Sort of in '99, it's kind of you know some some random results everywhere. And um, but then sort of right up, you know, you get fourth at the, the Hawaii World Cup in '99. So you're still getting some some feedback along the way. Um, the 2000 Olympics was that on your radar at all? Yeah, I mean, we went to trials for that. Um, I didn't, you know, in '98, I. Um, Pete Colson invited me down to train with McKeely Jones. And I thought, wow, that's unreal. Like she's McKeely's basically one of the greatest of all time. Absolutely. She was, had won several world championships by that stage. And uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, exactly. So she, she had um, actually had, she, had she already done her seven, I think she had had seven or eight world, world championship podiums, two world titles. Um, hmm. 
And yeah, so I, so I went down and, and it was funny cause I had, I was in a point at the turning point there that I needed a change. You know, I was still heavier than I wanted to be. I wasn't, didn't have good focus on, you know, where I was going and things like that. And so it kind of enabled me to kind of break up the routines and the habits that I was in. And, um, so I went down and, and lived down there with McKeely from 98 to 99. And that's where I found out about the, the formula one series that was going on. I raced that that year. Um, and that's when I lived with Siri and McKeely. We were all down there. I guess Siri had come and stayed with McKeely as well. I don't know how that all happened, but, um, Siri and I were, were sharing a room in McKeely's house and, um, so yeah, so that was, that was, you know, the, the start of like a bit of a, of a change for me. And, but you know, that's where I, I think I got injured, um, in 99. And so I was focused on trying to make 2000, but I think I was injured going in and, um, and then uh, I don't think, I think I made worlds that year. I can't even remember now. And um, that's okay. <laughs> I, honestly, but I didn't do very well. I was injured going into the race and yeah, I did it wasn't a great race for me. And so yeah, it was I think it wasn't until um I think that same was it two thousand and one. Two thousand and one was when you won Gamagori. And uh, Yeah, but I'd come to I I'd gotten invited to come up to Victoria in 2000. Right. So that's where we, uh, that's where we end. So we met in 98, um, briefly down on the world cup scene or in the formula one scene. Um, Mm. and then we didn't see you and I didn't see each other again until 2000. And so, um, that's when I got in, I went to Cornerbrook and, um, Paul Regensburg invited me to come to Victoria before the 2000 Olympics. I, I think I'd already missed my team. So I was just racing throughout that season. And, and so he had seen how well you were doing with Simon, um, training that, um, they invited me out to try and help Sharon Donnelly. But the funny thing was, is I was injured. And so I was like, sure, I'll come. And I came out there and that's where we ended up connecting. And, and then, yeah, I think from there I got connected with those guys, with Lance Watson and, um, you know, I, I wasn't really looking um, for a coach. I was just kind of looking for a squad because I'd been through a couple of coaches and no one was really quite fitting for me. And um, I'd learned a lot through swimming. Um, so it was kind of, you know, starting the process of just um, kind of knowing what I needed. And mm. so then I went and Lance Watson said, no, you're not going to come into our squad. I'm, I'm going to, I'll coach without me coaching you and stuff. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. I mean, there's always new things you can learn from, from everybody. And, and the squad was a fantastic squad. I mean, with yourself and Simon and I mean, we had a lot of athletes come through there. Brent McMahon was in there at the time too. And, um, and so I think, you know, we went down to Australia cause I wanted to have some, a squad down there as well and you guys were headed down there in 2000 and that's when, you know, you and I came together. Yeah. And, and so I think that, um, we started, um, that started me on a better path of consistency. Um, I think having the squad and then having, you know, Lance was kind of setting the program, but I think at that time we were kind of manipulating it a little bit just to, to 
to, you know, to work in with you and I to work together as well. Just a quick mini break before we get back to the show. I just want to remind you guys to go check out athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Sign up and get your free 20 daily travel packets with your first order of $79 added value. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Well, when I look at your, your resume, um, and, and, and I've got it in front of me, so that makes it a bit easier, but basically it's, uh, you know, 2000, 2001, you start to get a little bit of consistency, but really it was that sort of 2002 and then very much 2003, you're basically not out of the top five almost for nine years. Yeah. Um, you have the occasional ninth, um, but and the wins start coming as well when we start sort of looking at that 03 stage, you know, St. Petersburg in Florida, World Cup, Tongyong World Cup, um, you know, San Francisco, Boston, the winds start coming. There seems to be this consistency um, that maybe being in that sort of a squad in that training environment, or maybe it was just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, but no, well, honestly, it, no, does, it does take sort of 12 months, 24 months, but then yeah. you can really see there's this real like, okay, if I'm going to do the sport, let's do it really well. Yeah. And, and I think in 03, you know, I think uh, Siri Lindley, who I just had on the show, I think um, she'd retired. That's right. You know, she won 0102 World Series. And then 03 was a young Emma Snowsill came along and won the World Championships that year. And I think just pipped you to win the World Cup Series by a couple of points in 2003. My resume would be amazing had she not existed. (laughs) (laughs) i mean everybody could probably say that right no i don't know there are these people that come along and they do ruin it for you and then i have to have fernandez come in that little cycle yeah vanessa fernandez from portugal and emma snowsill who eventually won the 2008 olympic gold um no you're right though there was a turning point and honestly going back like between 2000 between 98 and 2000 when i um after I did, after I went down to Australia um, and had done the series, I was going to come back and do, um, you know, one more Formula One series, and then I was going to probably retire because I, I kind of, I, my, you know, the time I'd been in it was really short. But I was like, you know what? I've met a lot of great people. I kind of want to start. I kind of want to start my life like a, you know who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with because the sport isn't fulfilling enough for me. You know, it's kind of weird, but I, you know, in the end. And so I think that I was like, okay, well, you know, I met a lot of nice guys, but nobody really that I was interested in you and, and AJ were the two guys that I kind of met that I was like, those guys are kind of fun, but you guys had girlfriends and whatever. And you're doing, we didn't even have the same friends when I was down there. So I didn't even really know you guys at all. And, um, and so then when, you know, we met again in 2000 and I was like, it was, well, it was absolute immediately. We were like, we hit it off. And so I think I was like, great. Now I've met somebody that I really enjoy being with and wow, he's in the sport too. It's perfect. I mean, I, I'd always said, I'm never going to, you know, probably date a triathlete no way you know and then you come along and and then you hit it off and you're like actually there was no way you could refuse it no way, <laughs> no way. 
<laughs> so anyway, yeah. So I basically um, was like, oh, this is great. And now I found the person I can have all these experiences with, with racing. Cause you know, I had done a lot of racing and I'd gone with girlfriends and stuff and it was a lot of fun, but you know, I wanted to keep those experiences ones that I could remember with someone forever, you know? And so, yeah, it just worked out. And I think that's what kind of spawned me into staying in the sport a lot longer. And, you know, once we got together, it was like, okay, now let's join forces here and, um, maximize ourselves. I mean, when I met you, I couldn't believe how much, you know, I, I, I'd known about Brett Sutton's training and everything and how much training you'd done and the performances, you'd had a lot of good performances, but, um, the potential that you had, I mean, having come from swimming and seeing some of the highest levels of, of sport in, in a single sport, it's like, you kind of have a good idea of what it takes to do, to do sports. And, you know, when, in the three, having three sports, you know, you don't have to be quite as good in any one sport, but you do have to do all three well. And yeah, when I, when I met you, I was like, wow, this guy's got, he's got all this volume, all this training in him. And all he needs to do is just not talk himself out of performing on the day. That's it. <laughs> like, I'm like, what are you doing? You've got everything you need to perform. Just stop thinking, you know? Yeah. And so that's come up a bit in this show. I talk about my, my, my confidence and, and how you were my, you've been my, my pillar of strength, uh, to be more confident in my ability. And, uh, and, and I've said often on this show, if I could go back to my 17 year old self, I'd slap myself in the face and just say, be more confident. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. but anyway, go on. No, I mean, exactly. Was- exactly. And I think, so I think there was, you know, to some degree kind of trying to help you and then you were helping me because you were fulfilling like the outside my whole, my encompassing my whole life, not just my life in sport, which we, that was another thing that we both did together as well. So that helped there too. Um, and so maybe in two giving back to you a little bit and helping you find your, um, optimal self, you know, like, you know, cause even, even all the imagery and everything you do before a race, you've even got all that. It was just kind of like, just distracting you long enough to get the gun to go off because you knew what to do once the gun went off, you know, but it was like, you'd talk yourself out of it, but right before the gun went off. And so I think that was the key for, for us to really go on and have, um, longer careers than most and stronger in the sense of maximizing ourselves is, you know, coming together and kind of complimenting each other, not like you have nice hair, like <laughs> I'll pick up the pieces that you're dropping and you pick up my pieces that I'm dropping. And I think that was the key to us. Now we found our, we found each other in, in the squad in Victoria and in an environment up there. But like you said, our performances really started to excel um, come 2003. And that's when we started to take more control of our program. And, mm. you know, I, I felt honestly, we were in the squad and it was helpful, but, I was the one managing your emotions every single day when you came home. So, you know, Lance, Lance can take some credit for that, but I'm sorry. I can't give it to him. <laughs> I was Lance the one. Watson, by the way, was yeah. the coach we were working he's, with in Victoria. And he's fantastic. And he did a great yeah. job. He had you and Simon to deal with. And that was a handful. <laughs> Two very passionate guys about wanting to be best in the world. And boy, some of the some of the slack he took from you too. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, I, my point is in saying that is that, um, 
yeah, I think that having the two of us constantly seeing each other and managing each other and, you know, it was, it was a lot to, to, to work through, but it also was a benefit, you know? So what could have been a bit of a limiter for certain areas for me or for you, I think we made up in other areas and ended up, you know, we were good athletes before, but we fine tuned and became better athletes together. And I think that was the key to um, our longevity in the sport for sure. You know, but also that consistency together. I remember. Um, I remember. So I'm going to kind of. You can fill in the blanks a little bit, but you know, and and I do want to re go over this event um, in a moment. But in, in 2003, you came second at the World Championships in Queenstown, New Zealand. You then, uh, six months later, came third at the World Championships in Madeira, Portugal. Um, and so you go on second and then the third, but you were left off the U S Olympic team for the 04 Olympic games, which we can talk about that little bit of a journey. Um, but I remember, you know, at the end of 04, I'd been to the Olympics and come forth and you were just amazing support for me there, but we got married at the end of 04 and we had an amazing sort of call it honeymoon. We, we bought a world ticket and we, we had a good time. And I remember towards the end of our honeymoon, just being at my folks' place in Sydney and we were lying in bed. It was probably like 9 or 10 a.m. And you turned to me and you said, Greg, I this is really nice. I could get used to this. And I kind of agreed and said, you know, it was nice. And, and, and being that we'd been getting up, uh, you know, for 20 years of our life at – 4 a.m. every single morning, 5 a.m. morning to, to train. And this was the first time we'd ever not done that. We'd both been athletes our entire life. My point in bringing you that story, that long-winded story, was to say I remember us both sort of chatting and going, do we want to retire? And we almost kind of did for a few minutes there. I was like, yeah, this is really nice. And then kind of having a conversation which said, let's be intentional about the rest of our career and our lives to really optimize everything we can control. Um, and, and, and I guess the point of that story is when did you start going all in and being more intentional? There was that moment where I think we really took it to another level, but what was it like before that? And in that question, I also want to hear about that whole 04 Olympic experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think – well, definitely. I think that was the turning point. I think you and I had come together. We had, we had had some good performances together. And then I think we were kind of like, okay, I, I hadn't, I hadn't made an Olympic team yet. I really felt like that was important in our sport, you know, because that was kind of the highest level you could get to at the time to some degree is making the Olympic team. Um, you know, it's not like, you know, it's like making Kona for long course. And you know, I think it, it was already somewhat evolving, you know, like I mentioned, um, you know, we were in Lance Watson's squad, but you and I were really doing a lot of the management of our career at that point and training every single day, training of our, you know, manipulating it to what we felt like we needed, which I think you should evolve to as an athlete. I mean, you are your best coach, you know, and you have these coaches to kind of explore your limitations. and so. I think definitely that was um, our turning point in the sense of 
saying, okay, well, are we going to go get another job or are we going to commit? So to the next commit to just you and I taking on this program together, because I felt like I was already doing most of the work in the sense of like, you know, the management of emotions and things like that. And so I was like, I don't know what else we need to really be doing. We're already doing it. <laughs> you know, like you, you would set a program, you know, for the training, you're very good at laying out. Like that's when we started saying, okay, we're looking at four year blocks. You know, we were in the Olympic cycles, right? So we we're going to take four year blocks. And so you were very good. You started doing a lot more study and, and everything, even though I do think you knew what you needed to know enough, you know, we were already doing a two hour long run you know, that, that became so trendy come, you know, 2000 and I don't know, maybe it was four or six. I mean, we, but between 2000 and 2004, we were already doing that. And then, you know, we were already in an altitude tent in 2003, 2004. So, you know, we were, we were always trying to find the newest things and, and being proactive on, okay, what can we do to, to, you know, get ahead of the curve with these, with these amazing Mm -hmm. athletes that were racing. And so, I think, yeah, I, th- I remember saying, Greg, let's just do it ourselves. Let's coach ourselves, you know? And I think you hadn't really thought about it because you were kind of bouncing things off Lance and then you were already had stuff already. I mean, you were basically bringing your program to Lance and then he would say, yeah, Greg, I like what you're doing there. Let's, let's explore that. So, mm. you know, I, I still need it. I still use Lance very much. And, and yeah. that started in 2000 as a, as a consultant. It was always nice. I, I'd grown to the point I'd had a couple of coaches and, uh, I needed to have just a, a sounding board. And then it was an intent that we both said, right, let's go on our own exactly. and coach ourselves with no consultant. And, and it was just each other yeah. and, sort of from that. And don't get me wrong, in that period of time, we kind of thought, oh, should we have someone to consult with? You know, take take some yeah. pressure off of you having to think about me and taking some pressure off me to having to think about you. But then you have to, you know, manage them into the into the mold when you don't need them. It's kind of like you still have to maintenance that. Whereas, you know, if you could just grab them when you needed them. And generally that was only at like, you know, our our peak training, you know, when you're in that high threshold period of time, it's like a six week block where you're really super tired. The training's really hard. And, um, you know, you're just, it's harder to manage your emotions and all of that. And you just wanted someone to say, okay, that's enough out of you for today. And that's enough, but we had to kind of take that on and, and try to feel and look at the other person and, you know, help them out if we could. And, you know, and we did, we did do all that, but it's, it's, I do think that could have been a little bit of a limiter to us, but at the same time, um, yeah, it would have been harder to kind of hold on to having somebody involved every day. Mm. But yeah, I think that. Well, tell, tell, tell me a bit about the, the 0304 world champs yeah. and Olympic experience. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, that was pretty disappointing. I think again, you know, I've come in and out. Well, the O two was a career highlight. So O three, sorry, was yeah. a career highlight. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, well, what's really funny about, um, well, yeah, the O three podium um, at World Championship and um, in Queenstown. Yeah, Queenstown. Queenstown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my career feels like it's fading away <laughs> i can't remember anything having having the second baby you're doing very well for somebody could, i'm still breastfeeding i don't have half the capacity yeah <laughs> no queenstown was amazing i think um you know again i came into that one and i had 
I came in with a bit of an injury, um, but I had been in the altitude tent for, you know, that summer. And I had had a bit of, I think they were doing construction around our house. And so we had to go a longer way around. So I actually was getting in a lot more bike miles at that time, which was kind of funny because I think it overall made me a little bit stronger for that, for that race. And, um, yeah, so that, that race kind of panned out where it was, um, it was Barb and McKeely and myself in the last, um, what, uh, probably about the last 5k, the three of us were together. Now Emma Snowsill was in the race, but we don't remember that because she was so far up the road that <laughs> we were all chasing her. She, I think she had about a minute lead on us. Um, and so we were really just vying for the podium at that point. Um, and you know, the story is kind of fun because, um, it was, you know, in a, when I was a junior in Manchester, I, saw McKeeley Jones and Karen Smyers have a sprint finish, um, for the win. And it's funny cause I've since talked to Karen Smyers about that situation and, um, and McKeeley, McKeeley beat her. And I just thought, Oh my gosh, how cool would that be to win a race on a sprint finish in high school? I had a, I had a bit of a sprint finish in the mile and the two mile, as long as the girls didn't go out too hard because I didn't have the threshold they had, but I did have a finishing kick. And if they kept it a bit more aerobic, I could come over the top of them. And I did win a few state titles that way. And so when I experienced that in um, Manchester, I thought, Oh my God, that's so amazing. So 10 years later in from 93 to 2003, I'm in a situation where I'm, I'm, got two other girls and we're vying for the podium for second and third. And, you know, we, we, Queenstown was a little bit hilly on one side and then, you know, kind of wrapped around and then it was a, a, a long grass finish. And McKeeley and I had kind of pulled away from Barb with about probably about a half a mile to go or so. And I started thinking and I was like, Oh my gosh, is this going to happen? Am I going to be in a sprint finish? For, for the podium, ideally for the win, but Emma has taken that away from us already. So whatever, we'll, we'll console for second and third. And I just thought, holy crap, 10 years later. And then who am I in a sprint finish with? But McKeeley Jones, are you kidding? Like, I couldn't believe, like, never mind that it was a world championship. It was just like the fact that it was going to happen in a race, let alone, and then, mm. you know, being a world championship and the first real world championship that I was in, you know, I don't think I'm, I think I didn't go to a one in 2000 was terrible. And so, um, so I was just getting so excited. And so we come, we we're coming around and we probably have about a quarter mile to go. And then we've, we've, and you know, the tension's building up and McKeely and I are kind of staying neck and neck in this period, you know, and, um, we come around and we have about, I don't know how long the long grass stretch was, but let's say it was about 200 meters when Lance Watson was on the corner. And, you know, sometimes we had practiced like in training, like, you know, go, you know, or whatever, whatever. I can't remember the exact words, you know, for a sprint finish or, or, or to put in a surge or something like that. And I came around the corner and, and Lance said, whatever it was, and I don't even know if he meant to do it. And, and I started my sprint and it was like, it was almost like it just happened. And I sprinted and McKeeley was right next to me. And I put a little gap into her 
and um, you know, we still had the whole stretch and it was kind of windy. And I thought, Oh my God, Laura, what have you done? (laughs) And I, and I could, I was like, that is not going to be enough. You are screwed. And so I was like, okay, okay. She's coming. She's going to come back over the top of you and she's going to hit you so hard. You just have to just be ready, be ready, be ready. And she did. And she came over the top of me and she put in a little gap. And I was like, Oh no. I was like, you cannot lose this opportunity. 10 years you've been waiting for this. And so it was a bit of a headwind, like I mentioned, and I tucked in behind her and I slowly pulled back the gap. And I thought, okay, I've just gotten just, just on her heels. And I said, okay, you got to go now. And she, and right when I said, go, she looked, I don't know if it was left or right. And I went the other, so she looked left and I went right. And it gave me that one little millisecond for her to not respond immediately. And I just took off and it opened up enough of a gap that I I could get to the finish line before she could cover it. Or I don't know if she could or not, but I wasn't going to sit around and wait. And so (laughs) I came across the line and honestly, you would have thought I won the world championship. I was so excited. I threw my hands in the air and everything. And, you know, Emma's sitting there going, where have you guys been? And and so I, <laughs> I was just so excited and, um, McKeely came through and she actually congratulated me, which I thought was pretty bold because, you know, she was such a champion herself. And I thought, wow, she really is a champion to, you know, cause you know, right as right when you finish, it's kind of hard to be like, oh yeah, good job. You just beat me kind of thing. And so she did. And, and I really appreciated that. And we'd had a bit of history too, in the sense of, you know, living with her and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah. So that was such a special day for me, even, you know, coming second, it was almost like a gold and yeah, it really, I can almost bring back the feelings now. of. I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love those stories that, that stick with you like that. And yeah, McKeeley Jones, you actually did outrun it. She must've slowed down because you beat her by two seconds and then Barb yeah. was another three, I think she's, three seconds She's like, I'm not going to catch her. So she just left Actually, me. Barb, Barb hang in there. She was only five seconds behind you at the end as well. Yeah. So it really yeah, was, she a, came was back. a close finish. So, uh, and, but like you said, Emma Snowsill, you, you're menace from basically that day yeah. for the next seven years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she did win her first world title and she was a minute 20 up, up, up the road. Yeah. But, uh, I do remember that when you, you throwing your hands and I think there's a great photo around somewhere of, of you throwing your hands in the air and uh, that, that was huge. But then, so then you go on and now you're thinking, okay, I've just finished second in the world series just behind Emma Snowsill. Yeah. Um, then I think it was Emma that won. I can't remember who won that. Yeah, one. she did. Pardon me. She did. Um, she did. And then, uh, and then, so now you think you're pretty good about mm-hmm. the Olympics must be on the radar. Um, and so the U.S. Olympic trials, what were they? Had, had anybody been selected yet? Well, no, um, no not yet. No, no think- not yet. Not yeah. yet. Not yet. Because we had Madeira um, world champs in 2004. And that was, I believe, our first qualifier. Wait, I feel like there was another one. Somehow we had... Well, anyway, Madeira for sure sure was one top American goes. Okay. Now Sheila Teramina has come on the scene and she's been, she's been quite strong. She's a phenomenal swim biker and a very solid runner and very solid for the first swim bike pack group. You know, like that's basically, Mm. they would get two or two minutes on the pack behind. So, you know, you, you didn't have to be the best runner in the sport to be able to, 
to win the world champs or win, win world cups at that time. And so, you know, honestly going into Madeira, I wasn't in, in, you know, great shape. I might've had an injury. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure because, um, I wasn't, because you always did. They always did. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of plantar fascia issues. Now I know exactly why, but anyway, and so we, um, coming into that race, I was in good shape, but I wasn't sure, you know, how I was going to perform. And I thought, you know what, I think Sheila's doing, been doing really well. It's, you know, not surprising if, if she does well here and, you know, Barb, of course. And I thought, Oh my God, I think I'm going to have to win world championships to make the U S Olympic team. And that was it. <laughs> it was real. Yeah, yeah. Sheila went off to win. Sheila went off to win. I had a great race with those girls, and she went off to win, and I got third. Loretta Harrop was between us, and I thought, holy crap! Not only did you have to win a world champs, but I still got third at world champs, and I'm not going to make our Olympic team. It wasn't two Americans; it was just one made that from that first race. And I thought, because the second race then was in Bellingham, Washington. Yeah, and that's where they picked two, right? A month later, and Bellingham. What was interesting about that? It was it was a basically, I think ten or twelve people started. Oh, here it is. Thirteen people started, <laughs> um, and it was basically a rinky-dink race in the back of nowhere, where it, it ended up having no relevance to how an ITU race worked, a World Cup, you know, Olympic style race worked, and and it became a a US non-drafting race, really. I mean, drafting was allowed, but because it was so spread out that I, I don't know about you, but anyway, that, so yeah. And then, then they used, so it was a, a handful of American girls raced. Um, and I say, and actually Liz Blatchford from the UK won it, but um, Barb Linquist was second across the line. And then Susan Williams was third. Um, yeah. And you were, you were fifth right behind Sam McGlone, but I think you'd, you'd switched off once the oh the yeah yeah definitely um i know so I it was, believe it i know come- that was fairly devastating yeah. and i remember then i had you as my training partner to go through to 04 olympics um but i want to talk a little bit about rather than dwell on on that oh, experience sure. no, 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 04, no, we're over uh, that we're over that i i think you know when i look at you when we decided to really take ownership and, and after that disappointment and thanks for sharing that you know the when we look at your sort of 05, 06, 07 year of what was it that when we talk about taking ownership, being more intent, what do you think those things were that we we did a little bit better um, that made the difference? Really, from then on, you were very rarely out of the top five ever again. Um, you went on to have an incredible 07 year, make the 08 Olympic Games, um, make the 2012 Olympic Games. It really was from that moment on. Tell us a little bit about when we talk about being more intent, what is that? Yeah, I think it's putting, well, one, figuring out what your goal is. And ideally, you've picked the right one. You know, if your results aren't showing up, you've probably picked the wrong goal. Um, your process could be part of that too. But from what I, my experience is, um, you know, for example, um, yeah. So anyway, I think with intent for, for, um, for you and I, it was putting the sport first, not that we hadn't already been doing that, but I think it was more about both of us purely committed to saying, okay, what does it take 
to maximize ourselves here. Not just like, oh, let's do this race because it's fun. Or, I mean, I think we've always had a level of business perspective of it, of, okay, it's going to cost, it's going to, it's, I'm going to train just as hard for a $1,000 win as I'm going to train for a $10,000 win. So let's focus on the $10,000 win, you know? And I think that's where we took, we started looking at taking over our control of our programs and you doing what you do best. I doing what I do. I do what I do best. And, you know, you know, our strengths and weaknesses, recognizing what those were. And I think saying, okay, what do we need to do to perform? Okay. You're not, you're, you're, we go to bed at eight, we get up at five, we have our consistent routine of sleep, then our diet, everything. We do the best diet we can for, you know, with the knowledge we have at the time, you know, nutrition has always kind of been a passion for me, but you know, I only knew so much. And so now looking back, there was things that we weren't doing and that we could have been doing and probably a bit of a limiter for us, but um, you know, and that's where we hope to help others understand all of that, how important that is. But, you know, I think that the um, just waking up going, this is our number one goal is to be the best that we can be and hopefully the best in the sport and laying out that process. And, you know, it's funny, all these things that people talk about nowadays of like, oh yeah, your sleep and your nutrition and these sorts of things. I'm like, you know, we talk about it together and I'm kind of, great. We were doing that, you know, mm-hmm. but we weren't, we weren't great at telling other people, you know, or we couldn't explain why it was the case. And that was because we didn't have the language of what you know, you didn't, you just felt it. You knew what you were doing was right. And, and you were staying consistent with, um, the things that were progressing you. And so I, I think, I, I think there was one compliment that we got, um, it was don't call the Bennett's after eight. It, it was like, and what I mean by that, it was, we were living so intently that we, we were in bed by eight every night. We were we we stopped training and any form of training, body work, you know, massages, everything was done by five. We were very much okay, and we were eating dinner always by at least five, five five thirty, and then in bed by eight, and like you said, up at four thirty or five the next morning, and and that was relentless for ten years. Yeah, uh, it wasn't yeah. wasn't letting up on in terms of sleep. We prioritized it as high as anything you know it's easy for people to prioritize their training and their nutrition but we really prioritized our our, our downtime our recovery our sleep um and, and then the the body work side of things i think our team that we built around us mm-hmm. with you know dr alex keith here in florida um uh, ted forkham doc, dr ted forkham chiropractor also in um, portland oregon um uh, Nicholas Studholm in Boulder, and then obviously Marcus Mejias, our massage therapist, who's been mentioned on this show probably more than anybody else. But he basically was almost living. He was at our house oh, almost yeah. every afternoon for, for for most of our careers. Um, it really was that kind of what can we control and do better? Mm-hmm. And you and you kind of touched on it before the business mindset that we brought with it was you know okay, fifteen percent of our income will go towards travel. Now I became a, an av geek and a points collector and loved trying to figure out how to do it cheaper. So we never remotely came close to using 15% of our income, but we tried to make sure we traveled right. It was all this 
you got to pay to play. And then it was 15% of our income will go to body work in our team. Mm -hmm. So whatever it costs, if I have to fly to Florida to see Alex to work on him, do it. You know, it was like that kind of a mindset Mm -hmm. shift was let's go all in here um, and reinvest in ourselves when we can. Um, Absolutely. I mean, even to the point of, you know, strategically thinking, okay, well, you know, I think there was a point where we said, you know, we do all this work and then you travel economy to some of these big races where you are vying for the podium where you can make, you know, good money. We have to start traveling business, you know, Mm. where you get the best possible travel you can. And that's scary. I mean, we are, it was so close to showing up and you, you can't perform your bike problems or anything, you know, that risk that we took to do that, um, was it was crazy but at the same time we felt like we deserved to take that risk and it was it was worth it you know worth trying and i think that um that's when shoot i lost my train of thought on that um, <laughs> no that's okay no let me interrupt there because i think oh oh no that, 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 oh no i remember now so one of the years i had so many races around the world that we had three <laughs> around the world tickets business class tickets three around the world business class tickets going at one time So we started, you know, one off, I picked up that flight, I started another one off, and then I picked up. So my point in saying that is that we got, you know, like, let's say if it was a three grand ticket for to fly business back then, we got like three or four races off of it, you know, and I and I found that that was, you know, that's kind of the stuff that you do. That's intent. Let's think this through. I, I got to make I this remember, work, I, you know. See, for, for me, the travel part was always the exciting. It was it was a part finding the deals, part finding not only the best business class seat, but making sure that when you get that airline, that they they're going to be get the right plane, that we will have the right seat. Then having the right credit cards that get you the points and all of that. For me, I just geeked out on it, so it became a real side passion that that I really enjoyed. I'll never forget that year when I found these really good deals um these round the world business class seats and i remember that you were going because you were you were racing french grand prix yeah you were racing it world cups so anyway that, that that was really really fun and um i just want to sort of keep moving yeah. on here and i want you to tell me about the 07 year um because that was a very special year yeah 07 what definitely was i mean i think going into you know we had made a plan in our four-year block from 04 to 08. Um, I'm not sure when high V was actually announced as a big prize money race, but the moment it was, it was our number one race for that season. And so, um, you know, we had already had world championship racing, world championships. Those races were always my priority as well. I thought if you can race the best in the world, and try to be at your best. There is no other standard, you know, all these world cups, you never know who's there. Like we talked about before the perfection, which is unachievable. Um, and so that was the way I could control that part. <laughs> um, and so it, world champs was always a priority. And then also we had our Olympic trials in 07 as well. So um, that block was, was pretty, was pretty intense. And so coming into 07, Hy-Vee was definitely on the cards. Hamburg, I did not want to miss that world championship. And then we still had um, my Olympic trials two weeks after Hamburg in China, in Beijing. And so I thought, geez, is this risky to fly, you know, 
all the way to Hamburg because we were we were in um, Boulder at the time. So I would fly all the way to Boulder, come all the way back, and then go all the way to China um, in that two week span. Um, and so basically going into that year, those were all our goals. And of course, trying to do well at all the World Cups. So to kick it off, you know, um, it was amazing that everything we had planned that year came to fruition. You know, and I don't know if that was like a combination of our whole life's work <laughs> coming together, you know, and or just that level, like you mentioned, you know, switching over the intent and taking full control of our programs. It was just you and I, um, you know, we made all the decisions. We only had two home bases. We would go to Noosa and we would come back to Boulder, you know, in that period of time. I think Victoria was in four and five, but then six, seven, eight. Mm. We were, you know, in Boulder and going. So I think having that consistency and everything. But yeah, I think you know, going, going into, um, going into high. I mean, that was such a special win. I don't, I don't need to talk about it for, you know, as long as I did the last World Champs. But just to highlight a few things that you know, the U.S. girls worked very well. Sarah McClarty was an amazing swimmer. We had um, working in that front group you know, in this time period, <laughs> our little blocks of who was, who was in each group. Um, and, you know, she, she did a great job of being a part of, you know, she could swim so, so much faster than us. She could drop us, but she realized that being in the group was very advantageous. And she, she did a phenomenal job um, in the swim that day to, to kind of draw the girls out. And it was funny when we got in our bike group, the players at the time, we had someone, one of the girls that's usually in the second pack that was in our first pack that kind of started to unfold in a day that I thought, Oh my gosh, this could be another good day for me, you know? And, mm -hmm. um, Jessica Harrison was in our pack and, you know, we had the usual suspects, otherwise Sarah McClarty, Sarah Haskins. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going to forget some people, maybe yeah, Helen Jenkins and Annabelle Luxford, Annabelle Luxford and yeah. Caitlin, yeah. uh, um, Kirsten Sweetland, um, yeah. So there was about six or seven of us. And I thought, oh my gosh, Jessica Harrison's in our group. This is fantastic. No one else is going to really drive that second pack. Well, you also didn't have Emma Snowsill missed, missed you guys coming out of the water by about 15 seconds. Exactly. It was only, it was a short, exactly. very short little window, but, but it was your menace. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Which honestly was, uh, was, was, was a key for, for my success yeah. that day because she was a better runner for sure you know and if Plus she you forgot to mention that it was one of the hottest days on on record in des moines um you what i love about this everybody is everybody talks about how hot des moines was in the middle you know in, in uh june and uh you you tell the story completely differently don't you You're like, oh it wasn't that hot I, know. <laughs> I don't remember the hot i do remember the dry because i i went through two one liter bottles of fluid that day and it wasn't even close to enough. My mouth was caught in me when we were coming in off the bike. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so we came in off the bike and, and so like miracle number one was Jessica Harris's and was in our group. No, miracle number one was Emma didn't make our pack. <laughs> miracle number two, Jessica Harrison's in our pack. Um, miracle number three is I come off the, I came off the bike um, and again, had a fantastic transition, but sometimes with that, anxiety in the transition of having a quick one is I go out too fast in the run and then, you know, I get a cramp or whatever. So that day I was like, okay, don't go out too fast. And it was immediately a downhill. So it was kind of hard not to go out fast. So I kind of 
calm down and relax and was like, okay, just, just go with it and just relax and get down this hill. And, and I, and I think I still cramped and, and, but basically Kirsten Sweetland was with me and we ran and as well as, um, Annabelle Lexford and the three of us were running together. And I thought, okay, just settle. You know, we, we've got a two and a half minute lead on the second pack. Um, the only person that's going to run you down out here is, um, Mariano Ojada from Brazil, who's in the second pack. Um, Emma, knowing Emma at that time, had pulled out. I think mm. uh, maybe it was about, we were about 5K in um, when she pulled out. And so basically we, we um, you know, we're doing our laps and the three of us had stayed together. And then with about, I think it was, I don't know if it was on the final lap or maybe a lap to go. Um, Caitlin or Kirsten Sweetland just fell over. Final lap. She was about it was a, a final a lap. To go. Okay. Yeah, it was about a K to go yeah. before you make the yeah. yeah she just light, passed out. Yeah. And yeah. and Annabelle and I were like, whoa, what just happened there? <laughs> but mm. we were like, mm. okay, we got to go. <laughs> yeah. And so we went up the we round the corner and there was one hill and then you turn left into the long straightaway and um, Annabelle attacked me on the hill and and I thought, oh my gosh, is that it? is that all you got? This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I had, cause I, I, she attacked me and I was like, I think I've caught, I can cover this. I can cover this attack. And so I immediately came right back at her. Cause I was like, if she's faking this, I don't want to give her a chance if yeah. she's not faking it. Right. And so I have to make her think that I have got a lot more in the tank. And so I immediately accelerated away from her, like, covered the gap a little bit and then immediately attacked right away mm. and got up, turned the corner and I attacked again because I was like, I just, you got to put the last nail in the coffin. Otherwise they just keep coming back at you. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I don't even remember that stretch. I think I was floating. I couldn't believe that I had the opportunity to win that race. Um, and, and with such a big prize purse, but I think even the main thing was that it was one of our main goals for the season. And I, yeah, and it's, we got it's, to it's great it. to hit it. Yeah. To hit an outcome goal is always so amazing. Yeah. Right? You know, I had so many setbacks during, you know, all the years and you're just like, wow, this year is like coming together for us. So anyway, so yeah, that was an amazing day and, you know, we celebrated and I mean, even you were there probably cost you, I know, that probably was, cost you I, the race, but I really yeah, appreciated you being up there. That was funny. I remember I was watching it. It was on TV, actually. I was sitting in the hotel room and I was getting set to go and then you had 5k remaining and suddenly it was just the three of you. And I was like, oh, hell, I got it. I've got it. So I was out on the course and then made my way up to the finishing line. I had my race pack on my back because I was racing shortly after you. And anyway, I was there at the finish, which was fantastic. And and to see you win was just like, wow. Yeah. And and then I get a tap on the shoulder and it was like, Greg, the men's race starts in 45 minutes and it's a 10K bike away. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to leave. I was like, yeah, I was so I euphoric with your win. And yeah. uh, and then I got to, I remember getting down to the lake, Gray's Lake about 10, or however, maybe it's not 10K, but it was a, it was a decent ride, sprinting all the way there. And, and then everybody's already sort of lining up and I haven't even racked my bike yet. And, uh, and all the boys like, hey, congrats, Greg, congrats, Greg. It was like I'd won. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd already I'd already won. Well done. And I was like, yep, I don't have to do anything. And, and I must admit, that was one race when I when I look back in my career where I was like, Greg, you were in really great shape in 07 because I was focusing on the Lifetime Fitness Series and, and I was using this high V as our last hit out before yeah. I had to try and win Minneapolis the next month. But 
And I look back, oh, I just, my head wasn't in it and, and I ended up coming fifth, but it was kind of like, but it was so, it was still a, an amazing, amazing day. And you, you end up winning by about 15 seconds. What was also interesting, I touched on the heat and humidity of that race, 18 women pulled out wow. that day because of the conditions. And, uh, and yeah. it wasn't just Kirsten Sweetland that collapsed. There was quite a few that collapsed on the sideline. Um, yeah. Because I think you guys raced like I think we were later. I think we got the cooler weather. The men. I think we were like three or four in the afternoon. I think. Yeah. I think you women were like at midday or one one p.m. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it was. But then you went on, um, you know, to go hit your next two goals uh, with, with well, both the world championships in Beijing. Yeah, and you know, so, I think I don't know if this was this year. I'm pretty sure, unless it was another another year. But I think we had Edmonton. Wasn't Edmonton squeezed in between? Yeah, Edmonton yeah. was the following and week. And you and I kind of were like, okay, well, you just you just had a sit. huge high, you know. And that was this was something we recognized where you just had a huge high. Scrap Edmonton, you know, let that one just ride out because honestly, yeah. that's one of the things. Like, you go to Edmonton, like I've even heard other people say it. Yeah, I, I had just had a great race the weekend before, and then I raced the next weekend, and it was I did terrible. I was still just as fit. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but your emotions, you had taken every last drop out of your emotions and your physical couldn't catch up and it actually hurts, but you forget the hurt. You didn't remember it. Like you're saying, I didn't remember the heat. I don't remember that day at all. All I remember is that euphoric feeling coming across the line, having, mm-hmm. you know, accomplished what I did at the time. And it's just kind of so that was one of the big things that we kind of learned in that little process of going, yeah, that's right. You just, you take, let, let that, yeah, let it sit, let those big ones sit. And it's funny because I actually drew on that um, when I went to Hamburg. So I committed to doing Hamburg and then having trials two weeks later. And when I went to Hamburg, um, I was in a sprint finish with my little nemesis, Emma Snowsill, and she, um, Vanessa Fernandez had already gone up the road and she, she had won that day. And then Emma and I were vying for second and third and we had about 200 meters to go. And Emma had caught us, caught me. She'd gone through everybody else. And I was like, no, I just want to, you know, like the wind was gone and, um, you know, second, I still wanted second for sure. But I knew I had Olympic trials, which were far more important to me at the time to try and make this Olympic team, you know, having missed though four. And so mm. when I got in a sprint finish with Emma, who I, I'm definitely a better sprint finisher, but she's definitely faster over the 10 K. So she's, she was coming at me pretty hard. And so I tried to stay with her and I did, but I thought, you know what? I'm not going to sprint finish here because if you go too high, you will not be able to perform in two weeks time. Or let's say I'm not going to risk not being able to perform. Mm. I don't know. Mm. And so I did, I did, you know, challenge her to the line, but I didn't tap into that next level of sprint that I know I have, but I know is super taxing. And so I, um, I, I settled for third and not to say that she didn't possibly take it away from me either, but I didn't really, I didn't give didn't. I didn't fight for it, you know? Mm. Regrets maybe a little bit because I love the fight, but at the same time, I'm was so much more satisfied having the opportunity to be on the Olympic team that, you know, I wasn't going to risk it. And so it was yeah. funny. I wanted to share that little bit because it is, I do think it was an integral part of 
your progression and and the detail that you kind of need that kind of can sometimes be overlooked you know this emotional detail you know oh it's it's massive well i think you educated me a lot throughout my with, with that career on the on, highs on, on and managing. lows right yeah, yeah the highs and lows yeah. and, and and finding that you got to be somewhat in the middle but when these surprising highs do come along the unexpected win you the euphoric sprint over McKeeley or the you know yeah. running over the top of Annabelle Luxford and suddenly winning a, a huge day the, these days that hit you and you you're almost unprepared and so emotionally it, it's very taxing mm-hmm. and I think I also think it's important to sometimes let be very present in life and let these moments really just sit you know, yeah, and, exactly. and enjoy the fact that something that you've worked for most of your life towards, be there for that moment and just let it sit. I agree. But at the same time, like you said, I like how you, you said that, basically understanding these huge emotional efforts, the taxing toll, the yin and yang effect of of, yeah. <laughs> the, of these highs and lows. And I remember I remember us both sitting down after Hyvee and going, no, don't go to Edmonton. It was a short yeah. trip for us too. It was an easy one, but it was like, you know what? Let this one just be. Yeah. And uh, you know, yeah. If you go into Edmonton and come anything oh, other than a win, yeah. Anything other than a win, now you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm only as good as my last race, kind of thing, yeah. right? Whereas, it could have set me know. up for the whole rest of the summer. You know, like yeah. I could have lost yeah. confidence for Hamburg. I could have lost confidence for trials. You yeah. know, and I think that was an that was a like a little integral part of our season that you know was well managed. I think you know. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, and then you know, just to to briefly um, go over, you know, you went off to to Beijing. Yeah, so I flew back. Incredible race. Yeah, yeah, flew back home for a few days and then took off. And I actually remember going to waking up the morning of of the race, and I woke up and oh no, that was that was actually for the Olympics. Uh, another story for that. No, yeah, it, it ended up working out. It ended up working out um, that I that yeah. I made it. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was young, <laughs> younger, but going traveling, traveling West is always easier than traveling East for me. And so mm. I think that was another thing that I held confidence in. And, you know, I just sleep when I get there for 12 hours. And I think that's what we ended up doing. And yeah, I ended up, yeah, being able to make the Olympic team. Yeah, that was it. That was a huge moment. Mm-hmm. I know Sarah Haskins put up a huge fight and ran with you. I think till about five kilometers, and and Sarah did end up making the Olympic team later on. But I know you were both vying for that first position onto the team, yeah. and, and and that was just it. I think you know, looking at your career and and some years that stand out. I think oh seven was amazing. Obviously, you then went on to go to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. You had a, a fourth place, which. Yeah. Uh, Brutal. But what people don't know is that you hadn't ridden a bike for 12 weeks. You, you, yeah. you, uh, a cleat broke and then you tore your or sprained your, your foot or whatever and wasn't able to ride your bike. But you could run in pain, Yeah. but you chose to do one, right? Yeah, so, so me- basically, yeah, going into 08, it was not, not great in the sense that I think I was out on a bike ride one day and doing hill repeats and out of the saddle and just going and my cleat broke and then I, I think I sprained my, my planner and – I couldn't, I could not shake it. Um, I, I, I must've torn a bit. And so I came home and, um, you know, I had the, my, the bike guy, the guys from, um, I don't remember the name of the company, but anyway, the bike, the local, the, the local bike group, um, bike shop. Oh, the bike shop in Boulder yeah. would be, 
who were we using then? Sorry, it'll come to yeah. me in a second. Anyway, they, they had a look at it and they're like, wow, your cleats are in a position of, you know, being a sprinter. And I was like, what? It's like, no wonder I can't time trial very well. You know, you're not using the right muscles. It's all gastroc instead of using the quads and the glutes more. And so we changed that. I, it was a, it was a mess of, you know, that summer of trying to, but basically I just said, okay, well, we know the Olympics is going to be hot. So let's, um, focus on, on being super fit, super fit, like as lean as you can be, but of course, strong as strong as you can be. And then, um, yeah, don't worry about the bike. So I just stopped riding. I would only ride in racing and I ran 20 K every other day and 30 K every other day. And I was swimming six K a day. And honestly, when I stepped on the starting line for Beijing, because it wasn't going to be a biker's race either, I wasn't that concerned. You know, I knew how the race was going to pan out. And so um, we knew it was just going to end up being a run, a run race, no swim bike pack off the front. So that was another factor going into my training leading in. And essentially, um, we, I, it panned out that way. And I had gotten a cortisone shot in my foot to get me through the Olympics. Um, you know, so I didn't have to have pain on the day, but pretty much the whole summer I ran in pain and took an ice bath every afternoon to manage that pain. And, um, yeah, really the only, I was a super aerobically fit, but I couldn't do a lot of the threshold work. Cause I felt like if I got up on my toes, it would make my foot worse. So I was just doing a lot of running and, um, <laughs> it's crazy, but I really think that missing out on like two or three, um, thresholds is the difference between me podium them and getting fourth. I basically at about 5k, I, the race, we knew that Emma and Vanessa were going to be tough to beat. And not that I was waiting for a third, but I thought, you know what, let's just go for it anyway. You know, do the best you can. Who knows? They could, you know, they could crack or whatever. So I went out fast, um, as I do. And, um, Andrea Hewitt was there as well out at the first 5k. And she, I, she was an unknown. She was young and she was, she'd done okay in a couple of races. And I thought, oh no, you know, it's just her, my luck that, uh, you know, one of the young girls is going to have their day on the Olympic day. I'm like, I've been fighting for four years for this thing. <laughs> so I didn't give her an inch and we knew that Emma Moffat would be, you know, a player. And I thought, no, I could sit with just Emma Moffat and just vie for third, or you could go and try to solidify a third. Well, I went for it and I tried to solidify a third, maybe a second, maybe a first, who knows? Um, well, at 5K, I cramped because I had gone, I was going above my fitness level, um, as I do with racing. And so I basically um, cramped up, and Andrew Hewitt had that time fallen off, but Emma Moffitt was strong and steady, came over the top of me, and she kind of opened up about a 25 second gap. and. I clawed back at her and probably brought it back to, I don't know, whatever it was, but I just didn't have enough to come back over the top of her. And so that pretty much solidified my fourth place. Super disappointing. But, you know, at the same time, I felt like I did everything I could to maximize it. And yeah, I, I was, I couldn't have had a greater experience than I had at the Beijing Olympics. 
Yeah, we had a good team with you, with, with Julie Swale. Yeah. It was six seconds between you and Emma Moffat yeah, at the end. But exactly. it, it's like we often talk about sometimes they look, it looks much closer on paper yeah. than when you're in the race. That six seconds might have It was forever. It, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. It was like basically I brought it back to six seconds. Well, you know? my, well, you are the best in the family still because you came fourth at the Olympics by six seconds and I came fourth in the Olympics by eight seconds. <laughs> so right. there you go. <laughs> well, look, Laura, this has been – you're going to be a co-host of mine at times yeah. in the future here for everybody listening, um, probably once you stop breastfeeding. So hopefully throughout 2021 I bring you on for some of the shows that we'll be doing. We're going to be co-hosting together, and I really look forward to that because I think we'll have a lot of fun. Um, and we, we're missing a tremendous amount of you – what you did um but for somebody that has raced for 20 years it's hard to cover everything you did but basically you did go on to london olympics and that has its own story you then did go do ironmans and 70.3s and had uh, a bit of success there too um there's so much more I, I do want to talk to you about in a future episode or when you're a co-host in terms of the mindset strategies and yeah. you know dealing with expectations and and all of that but i think you know um, we got kids that need to be looked after. Get <laughs> <laughs> <Get> to work. <laughs> and it's back. You've been up since three. I really appreciate it. But now it's time for you to get to yeah. work. Um, <laughs> exactly. But it really has been really great to yeah, chat Yeah, thank you, you so and, much. Uh, I'm going to, um, well, I'll see you at home in yeah. a little while. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, and I'll, um, for people that want to follow you, just quickly tell me what, I mean, I'll put them in show notes, but people, yeah. what, what are your well, handles for Facebook, Instagram? Oh, yeah, Instagram. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Instagram is Laura Bennett World. Um, Facebook is Laura Reback Bennett. And I don't even really do Twitter that much anymore, but Laura R. Bennett. Mm. We didn't quite get all the names when we were, <laughs> we didn't get our names. No. So they're all different things, but yeah. And then, of course, right. BennettEndurance.com. BennettEndurance.com. And you also have Well Balanced Family. Yeah, Well Balanced Family. Well. Yeah, that's that's more for all the kids' stuff. I'm not sure if anybody on here is that interested in that stuff, but if you are, um, wellbalancedfamily.com and, um, yeah, you can find us on those handles off of there. All right. That was fantastic. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Laura, the most beautiful person in the world <laughs> thanks, for coming babe. on. Um, don't hang up. I'll, uh, we're going to stop now. Cheers, everybody. Okay, thanks. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.